Welcome to Crucified. I am your host, Charlie McQuillan, pastor of GraceWorks Bible Church in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. It is my privilege to be your teacher for this time as we study God's Word together, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Crucified. Think Galatians 2.20, where being dead here really means you're alive. Not mostly dead and slightly alive. Totally dead, totally alive. Crucified with Christ, not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's a good day to be alive in Christ, and we are glad that you have joined us today. We are going to continue our study through the book of Philemon. If you will, open up your Bibles to the book of Philemon, and we're going to focus in on a statement that Paul makes in verse 12. Now last time what we did was we, we looked at Onesimus. Who Onesimus was, we introduced him and uh, talked about some of the, the doctrinal pictures that are associated with him. And we ended on the note how, of how uh, Onesimus really is a great picture of what we read about in Romans chapter 6, where Paul describes, you know, that one, at one point we were servants of sin, and we were free from righteousness. But when we trusted the gospel, when we trusted exclusively on the, on the work of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection— for payment for our sin and the only source of eternal life. And uh, you only have that, that, that gift is offered to you and is only received by faith alone. Your works will never cut it. Your good intentions will, will, never, will never make it up to God, uh, will never clear uh, our sin, but rather just faith alone and what God did for us through Jesus Christ. And you have to lay aside all of your, your good works and all of your performances and, and all of your best intentions and realize that we're without strength, and the only hope we have of, of, of heaven and forgiveness of sins and, and life is in Christ alone. And when you trust that message, God gives you his life as a free gift. He forgives you all sins as, as a free gift. He gives you a home in heaven, righteousness, as a free gift. And you're no longer a servant of sin. You're free from sin. You're dead to sin, and you're alive in Christ Jesus. And you become a servant of righteousness, he says in Romans chapter 6. Well, that's what you see with Onesimus, someone who, who departed from his master, still a servant of sin, but free from righteousness. And as he, as he departs, he, he comes across the, the apostle Paul and trusts the gospel of salvation. And he becomes free from sin and truly a servant of righteousness and goes back to his master and confronts the uh, the wrong that he had done. Now, in verse 12 of, of Philemon, this is where we left off last time. Uh, notice in verse 12 where Paul says, talking about Onesimus, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels. That's that's his son in the faith. That is someone that the apostle Paul led to to Christ and led to salvation you know, through through the gospel ministry. And he sends Onesimus back and you have to realize, too, in that statement, Onesimus has to be a willing participant to go back and to deliver the letter, this epistle, to uh, his master, Philemon, and confront the wrong that he committed. And in that statement, whom I have sent again, we're going to look at the issue of repentance. And what is repentance really? And I'm just going to say from the beginning here that really the ideas of repentance that are circulated in, in, in Christendom uh, really are not... Uh, good definitions or, or, or good uh, is not a good understanding of the word. Now, I don't want to just complain about, you know, people's definitions. You, you want to have just a biblical uh, understanding of it. The word, if you break the word up, it just simply means to have a change of mind. 
That's really what the word just means, a change of mind. And, and what people will say about repentance is it means to stop sinning. Look, Romans chapter 5 says, for when we were without strength, you, you don't have strength. Before, before life in Christ, you have no strength in and of yourself to stop sinning. You're a servant of sin. And, and that bondage is not uh, broken until you are placed into Christ. Now that happens upon faith in the gospel. Repentance is not ceasing from sin. That's an impossible task for an unbeliever. It does not mean to be real sorry for your sin. Should you be sorry for your sin? Should I be sorry for sin? Absolutely. But we're not always, not perfectly, not even close. And so what you realize is, you know, those ideas and definitions of, of repentance, one, they're not biblical, but two, we, we attach things to them and we, and we make repentance a matter of when it comes to salvation, you're asking for works when you define the word that way. Now, we're going to say a couple things about repentance in the, in the sense of what it means in regards to the gospel. People say, well, what, is, what, is, you know, what do I have to do to, to uh, be saved from the debt and penalty of, of hell and the lake of fire? We say, well, repent and, and, and believe the gospel. And sometimes when we hear that phrase, repent and believe the gospel, you know, rightly so, some of us might get a little cautious, because if you're going to tell someone you need to stop sinning and then believe the gospel, they can't do that. And then you're asking them to do works for salvation. You need to stop doing something. Well, if you're going to stop doing something, it means you need to do something else. You need to live righteously. So you got to think about that carefully. you got to be real sorry for your sin. Okay, well, that's, a good, that's good advice. But that's not what gets you to, uh, to save. Faith in the gospel does that. So the word repentance, it means to have a change of mind. And there is a relationship between repentance and faith in the gospel. We're going to see that. But you want to have a sober uh, understanding of that and not one that's defined uh, really by a works-based Christianity. The, also, the other issue is what does repentance look like? How do you know when someone is, is repentant? After salvation, as a believer, the Bible talks about repentance in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to look at what that means because there's some important details that uh, sometimes we neglect to take note of. Let's, for just to define this thing scripturally, come with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 29. Romans chapter 11. Let me give you a demonstration, a few demonstrations here, uh, of how the word is, is used. Now, Romans chapter 11 and verse 29, there's a great verse here. In the context of Romans 11, Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul, is the apostle, is addressing the, the issue of Israel in, in time past, in, in prophecy, all the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and, and, and really the, the beginning parts of the book of, of Acts. Your Bible concerns one group of people, and that is the nation Israel. They are a favored nation. They are a beloved people. They are a covenant people. And, uh, and God makes a number of covenants and promises, and he separates them from the rest of the world. Now, that's all established in the book of Genesis and Exodus and, and so on. So when you, when you study the scriptures, most of your Bible deals with the nation Israel. When you come to Paul, something radically different has happened. And that is God has cast away Israel temporarily. That's what he deals with in, the, in Romans chapter 11. He set the nation aside temporarily. It's not going to be forever, but for a time, for a season. And God is doing something with the Gentiles. He's doing something with the whole world. He's concluded all in unbelief, Jew and Gentile, that he might have mercy upon all. 
And in Romans 9, 10, and 11, what Paul is doing is addressing the issue of what has happened to the nation Israel. Where is the fulfillment of their promises? Where, where are all the blessings and the covenants and the promises that were given to them? Where is the fruition of it all? It hasn't come. And he's going to address in these chapters why that is. And that God reserves the right to, to pause his purpose with the nation Israel and pursue a new one with the Gentiles, creating and forming what we learn to be the body of Christ. And so that's what the scriptures talk about in, in, here in Romans 9, 10, and 11. Now, in Romans chapter 11, he's dealing with the fact that even though God has temporarily set aside the nation Israel, one day he's going to fulfill those promises. God is not going to break his promise to the nation. And so Paul makes the statement here, notice in verse 25 of chapter 11, he says, For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So, God is not going to change his mind on the promises that he's made in the context here to the nation Israel. Now, a broader application, you need to think about that verse in light of Uh, your own security in Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says. The gift of salvation that you possess, you can't lose it. That's a one-time decision that you make to trust Christ, and then you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. God's not going to change his mind. He's not going to take that back. That's yours. Well, that verse there cannot mean to stop sinning or to feel sorry for sin. It means God's not going to to change his mind on the promises that he's made. He's going to fulfill them. Okay, let me give you another example of this. Look at Jeremiah chapter 18, the book of Jeremiah, and chapter 18 and verse 6. He says here, O house of Israel, cannot I I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant... I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. You can see in the context of that passage, and you can see in the verses, obviously, they are, uh, he's uh, dealing with God changing his mind. So so God, at times, he will will change his mind. He will repent. Now, here's a fun example. Come with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 13. Acts chapter 7, verse 38, uh, has an interesting statement there. He talks about the church in the wilderness. The church in the wilderness. He's talking about the, the nation Israel that was, was led out of Egypt by Moses. And he refers to the church as the church in the wilderness. I will remind you that that church was made up of some pretty rebellious people, and God judged some of those folks. Not Every, every time you read the, the word church in, in Scripture, it's not referring to the body of Christ. 
Every time you read the word church, it's not referring to the, the, the uh, Messianic church, like in Matthew 16, where Christ is going to build his church upon the, the confession of, of his name. It talks about the little flock in Luke chapter 12, that church. They're not all the same. That is a term. It's a, it, that is a, a, a called-out group, a, a group of, of people that belong to the Lord. That's what that word uh, means. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, talks about, about Israel being baptized unto Moses through, uh, under the cloud and all of that as they, as they cross through the Red Sea. So you have this church that's going to be baptized, and in order for them to, to have this baptism, there's an interesting statement that we read here in Exodus chapter 13. Notice verse 17. He says here, And it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. So here we have the church that's about to be baptized, and God doesn't want them to repent and go back to Egypt. Now I'm... (laughs) Here's an unrepentant... You know, he wants an unrepentant church. You get the point. He's not talking about ceasing from sin, although that is a that would be the right thing to do. He's not talking about them feeling sorry for their sin and their rebellion and their and their complaining and all of that. That's not what the word means. And these are just obvious examples where you can see in Scripture that uh, the word repentance means to have a change of mind. So we understand that we got you got enough verses to deal with with there. Now the, you don't want to fall into the other extreme that says repentance is not something. That is a natural occurrence when it comes to the gospel. Look at Acts chapter 17 and notice verse 30. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he raised him from the dead. He's talking about the Lord there, the Lord Jesus Christ. But when he says in verse 30, God God winked at it. You know, he he kind of he overlooked it. The ignorance uh, of the nations of the world. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Have a change of mind. You Gentiles have been living in darkness all this time. God God gave you up. God gave you over, as Romans one talks about. He separated a people from from Abraham, and he and he created a nation in in, in the earth. That was going to to demonstrate uh, what a nation looks like to have uh, the uh, the God of creation, God Almighty, the the possessor of heaven and earth, as their God, and the nations separated from Israel, and and then the nations are in darkness spiritually, and and God says now under now under Paul's ministry, the nations, every man, everywhere, he commandeth all men everywhere to repent, to have a change of mind. Listen, you can go serve your gods and your idols and, and all of that, but you know what? There's going to come a day when, when the world is going to be judged by that man, the man Christ Jesus. Now notice in verse 31 there, he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. You know, the resurrection gives you a guarantee of one of two things. It guarantees either your justification... That's what Romans chapter 4 says. He was raised again for our justification. The, the resurrection is a demonstration, is that receipt of paid in full, that when you trust the gospel, God will save you, he'll justify you, you're in Christ, and the resurrection is a guarantee of that, of that, uh, of that gift, that God has conquered sin, had victory over sin, 
and can offer you the gift of eternal life freely through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection guarantees that, but the resurrection also guarantees that if you reject that, that offer, you're going to have to face righteous judgment, and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be the righteous judge. So you're guaranteed of one, one of two things, justification or judgment. That's the reality, commanding all men everywhere to repent. You know, that is, repentance is the, is the natural course that an individual is going to take when they recognize their need for salvation and their need to trust the gospel. They'll have a change of mind. That's simple enough. So don't go into, you don't want to go into one of, of, of each extreme. Repentance means to stop sinning or to be sorry for your sin or, you know, all of that. Or that repentance is this, you know, we're going to attach the bad definition to the word and then shy away from it. And then we run into some problems when we read a verse like Acts 17. Just recognize, have a change of mind, trust the gospel. That's, that's the idea there in Acts 17. So if you have a proper definition, that alleviates a lot of problems And I understand that many believers try to fix bad terminology, but you don't want to fix a problem by creating another one. Now, what about as a believer? Let's go back and focus on Philemon and Onesimus here. When Paul sends Onesimus back, Onesimus, has again, he has to be agreeable to that. And what that demonstrates, when you see Onesimus come back and you see Paul's report of of who he is now as a faithful and beloved brother, you have to realize that, that there's been some... Uh, some changes that only God can make. Come with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and notice verse 11. Here Paul writes to the, the Corinthians, he says, well actually look at verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. Now he's not, that salvation there is not talking about soul salvation. Every time you, you see the word salvation, it's not referring to the same thing. Every time you read uh, reconciliation, it's not referring to the same thing. There's four reconciliations in your Bible. There are many different kinds of salvation or justification. So you have to let the context determine that for you. Now, he says, For uh, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, Yea, what vehement desire, yet what zeal, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. One of the ways you know that repentance does not mean to be sorry for your sin is this passage here. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. It's not it. It it isn't repentance. It's something that produces that change. It's different than being sorrowful. And godly sorrow leads to wanting to change things God's way. The sorrow of the world is kind of like, you know, I'm sorry I got caught, and, uh, that, and that type of thing. But notice again, verse 11, what, what does it mean? Well, how do, you know, here's, here's a question that comes up is, how do I know someone has had a, a change of heart? Let's say there's, there's a believer that is, is overtaken in a fault, is living in, in, a, in a sinful condition. That person is, says, well, I, I've had a change. I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. I'm, I, I'm repentant. Well, how do you know that's true? See, anybody can say that. But how, how do you validate that? And there is a scriptural measure of, how, of how, you, how you understand that. Look at verse 11 again. There are uh, seven items here listed in verse 11 that demonstrate what true repentance, when it's, when it's present. Here it is. 
He says, you sorrowed after a godly sort. One, what carefulness it wrought in you. Someone who has had a, a change of heart, a change of mind about bad behavior and sinful activity, they're going to have a carefulness in them. They're going to have some caution about making provision, for example, for the flesh. He says, make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Be careful. Have, have, some, have some sensitivity and some carefulness about you. And then he says, what clearing of yourselves. There's some things in your life. There's some things in my life that need to be cleared out. Instead of, instead of providing and, and, and housing opportunities for, for your flesh, for those, for those sinful and, and fleshly desires, that, that, old, uh, that old life, put that away, get that out, and make provision for your spiritual man, your, your inner man. Then he says, yea, what indignation. You know, you ought to, kind of, you ought to have some, some, some righteous indignation about the things that you did and, and abhor that which is evil, he says in, in Romans chapter 12. He says, yea, what fear. Have, have some godly fear. What vehement desire. You know, it's, isn't it good to have the, the desire to, to do what's right and to, to follow after the Lord and, and to walk in, in, in a, a, a spiritual mindset and, and to get into God's Word and live a life that is consistent with who you are in Christ, acknowledging every good thing which is in you in Christ? Of course it is. It says, what zeal? To be zealous is a good thing, but, but according to knowledge. Yea, what revenge? In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. See, that's... That's how you demonstrate true repentance. I remember speaking to a brother, and we, we had a, a frank conversation about some things. And there were some things that he had done in his past that had caught up with him. And he made the comment to me, what people are forgetting is that I'm, I have changed. I'm, I'm not doing that, that stuff anymore. And people forget that uh, there's all these years that have gone by where I haven't been doing that. Doesn't that demonstrate that I have a repentant heart? Well, you have to be careful with that. When you read 2 Corinthians 7, 11, the, the, the demonstration of true biblical repentance for a believer is not the cessation of activity that's wrong, but the pursuit of what's right. Put off the old man, put on the new. It's the demonstration of putting on the new man. It's not just the absence of wrongdoing, but it's the pursuit of what's right and who you are in Christ. That's the key. So you can say, well, yeah, some of these things I, I've kind of, you know, they've laid dormant. Now, uh, by the way, that the brother I was I was speaking to, he might very well have been uh, repentant, might have had a change of mind, went through godly sorrow, all of that. My my point isn't to argue that, but my point is to just clarify: it's not the, it's not simply ceasing from from wrongdoing. It's the corrective behavior. It's the behavior that goes totally against the grain of that old life of that old man. And those, those seven items are the things that need to be there that will be there naturally when you demonstrate true repentance. Now, can I say, when you look at the report of the Apostle Paul in regards to Onesimus, those things, carefulness, clearing, indignation, fear, vehement desire, zeal, revenge, righting the wrong, and what you see is he does that. Paul says he's a faithful and beloved brother. In order for him to be faithful... Onesimus had to faithfully correct some decisions that he made. Yes, I realize as an unbeliever, he did. He made some decisions. But you know, as someone who's in Christ, now he has the opportunity to correct them. And what we see in the demonstration of him going back to Philemon, 
we see someone who has had a change of mind, who's put off the old man and has put on the new man, a servant of righteousness. Now, next time, we will see something about the decision-making process that that every believer uh, needs to have an understanding of. I know we kind of used verse 12 as a launching pad to deal deal with the issue of, of repentance, but it's important to have a clear understanding of that. And when we talk about restoration in the, in the episodes to come, you'll see how those things fit in and how that's a very helpful matter. Well, that'll be it for today. Let me remind you that if you have, if you have any questions, you can email me at crucifiedpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's crucifiedpodcast at gmail.com. And any questions or comments that you have, any feedback uh, would be appreciated. Please follow the show and recommend it if, if you find it commendable to others. We would appreciate that and look forward to another time of study. With that, enjoy life in Christ, get in God's Word, and serve the one who gave it to you. Praise the Lord.